I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Here's our host, Boyd Matheson, on KSL News Radio. Welcome back to Inside Sources, your second hour, and I'm your host, Greg Scordis, filling in today for Boyd Matheson, who will be back shortly. It seems like we talk all the time about the war in Ukraine, and just when you think maybe things are backing off or things have calmed down, one side or the other ramps things up. So recently we've heard that the Russians are mobilizing over 300,000 troops. They want their force to go from 1.1 to 1.5 million troops uh, by 2026. They're recruiting convicted felons. They're recruiting people who are in their 40s, 50s, apparently some in their 60s. I mean, they are recruiting people, and, and you, you listen to some of these people in Russia who are literally hiding from, from the process server, or whoever it is that's coming around giving them their, their draft papers. And in response to that, the United States is donating more and more money to Ukraine. Uh, I think they've put in already $45 billion, but there was an additional 2.5 billion weapons package that was announced by Treasure, or excuse me, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin. And these important new commitments demonstrate the ongoing resolve of our allies and partners to help Ukraine defend itself. Because this isn't just about Ukraine's security, it's also about European security, and it's about global security. It's about the kind of world that we want to live in. Joining us this afternoon is John Hudson, Washington Post reporter covering the State Department and diplomacy. Uh, John, thank you for joining us on Inside Sources. Good to be with you. So tell us this. uh, What does this recent $2.5 billion really mean in terms of of the United States' uh, contribution to the Ukrainian effort? Well, it's a pretty significant contribution because this has armored vehicles. And if you look at these armored vehicles, they do look like a tank to a casual observer. These are supposed to be extremely valuable to the Ukrainians as they contemplate a offensive to take back parts of their country. Um, there's an expectation that in the southern Ukraine, maybe the Zaporizhia area, in early spring, the Ukrainians might try to mount a a powerful offensive and uh, take away some of Russia's uh, land bridge to Crimea. Um, You know, the the Russians nabbed some critical territory in the opening 
months of the war, and this would be an effort to to, to get some of those back. Uh, the package also includes uh, HIMARS ammunition. These are the long-range missiles, rocket systems that uh, have been credited with destroying Russian supply lines and really crippling their ability to uh, maintain and advance uh, in, in different areas. Uh, and so it's it, it's it's a lot. Some of it is the same types of materials that we've given them. Others are new pieces of equipment, uh, powerful armored vehicles that are going to be um, potentially important um, to uh, retaking territory uh, controlled by the Russians. John, we've recently learned also that CIA Director William Burns traveled uh, in secret to Ukraine uh, last week to brief uh, President Vladimir Zelensky on. I guess what the CIA has learned or what their what their expectations are for the Russian military. Can you tell us the significance of that? Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Yeah, I mean, this is the thing. The, the, the CIA director does not just uh, book a flight and for a, a no reason. Uh, his travel is very well considered and um, uh, what, uh, one of the main purposes of this trip was to brief President Zelensky and other Ukrainian intelligence officials on his expectations for what the Russians are planning militarily. And uh, it's a critical juncture in the war right now. So the, what the Ukrainians are looking at right now, there's a huge war of attrition going on in eastern Ukraine near the city of Bakhmut. Uh, the Russians have doubled down. The Ukrainians have doubled down. There's huge casualties happening surrounding this area. It's actually not strategically that important, but it's been several months since the Russians have taken new territory. They're trying to prove that they are going to take uh, a new major city uh, and that they're not done with this offensive. The Ukrainians, on the other hand, are trying to prove that they can wage uh, a stand and protect their territory, including major cities. And so the, the loss of life is, is grim. And uh, uh, we don't know exactly what the CIA director briefed to them about Russia's military planning, but you can be sure that the Ukrainians were listening very closely. The CIA director has a very good re- reputation among the Ukrainians. That's largely because uh, one month before the war even started, he traveled to Ukraine and he provided what many believe was critical advice about where exactly the Russians would try to gain a foothold in the opening weeks of the war in an effort to take control of the capital, Kiev. Of course, it's well known now that the Ukrainians uh, waged an incredibly uh, effective and, uh, and pretty brave defense of their capital, which is a free city to this day. And so they're very grateful for uh, Burns's prescient advice uh, on that. And so they take his, his advice very seriously, um, as they did uh, just a few days ago when he visited the Capitol. John, follow up on that just a little bit. The CIA seems to have a pretty good track record in terms of being able to predict what the Russians are doing. And that has been very helpful to the Ukrainians, hasn't it? It, it, it has. 
It has. Um, you know, uh, obviously, you know, the, that example that I laid out was, is a prominent one and it points to Burns specifically. But other examples, I mean, the United States was out ahead in front of the world saying that Putin will invade. It's going to happen. Um, the United States intelligence community has not always had a sterling reputation. And even among our some of our closest allies, they just didn't believe it because you can point to things like the war in Iraq. You can point to things like the you know quick uh, sweep of Afghanistan by the Taliban and say, uh, America's spies can often be quite wrong about things. And so why should we take this seriously? And, and maybe their intelligence is also politicized by the American government, which also has happened many times in American history. So this moment has been a, an incredible uh, rejuvenation of the CIA's reputation because uh, they were right. And it, it is what Putin was planning. Uh, but they haven't always been right. And so it, this really has been a boon for their uh, reputation among allies, partners and even adversaries for for their ability to predict what Putin's next steps are. John, finally, you mentioned something in your article that I think is really interesting, and that is that there may be a little bit of a shift in American interest and contribution to this effort in response to the now uh, Republican uh, majority in our Congress. We've only got a minute left, but what can you tell us about our expectations there? Yeah, I mean, this was first and foremost on the mind of President Zelensky and his top aides when they met with Burns. They wanted to know how durable is U.S. support for the war effort. And, you know, what Burns tried to convey was that the U.S. support remains very strong. The Biden administration is back in Kiev 100 percent. But the thing is, it's not all up to the director. It's also Congress has a big role. And as we've seen, uh, there is a faction within the Republican Party that is very skeptical of aid to Ukraine. And the thinking now is that, you know, if they could prevent the speaker from taking power, they could probably maybe prevent significant portions of aid going to Ukraine. It's a, it's a big open question. And the director just had to be honest about that and his, his discussions with them. There's there's no guarantee that this is going to be an infinite, um, you know, uh, recurrence of aid. And, and this is billions and billions and billions upon dollars already. And so um, that's he really reiterated that the importance of the moment on the battlefield right now. Uh, and, and we'll see what the Ukrainians do with it. That was John Hudson, national security reporter at The Washington Post, covering the State Department and diplomacy. When we come back after the break, we're going to be going back to the legislature and talk about an education bill that is being debated right now. Stay with us. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story the struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. 
Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.